0: Good morning everyone. Welcome to the Cedar Skier podcast. I'm your host Ryan Cedarquist and you have joined the largest and fastest growing endurance specific podcast in all of Well actually wait, we got back this up. This might be the second second largest. The second largest endurance focused podcast in all of Lake County. But the fastest growing. Maybe. We don't actually know that. We well okay, we we've had some increase in listenership. Um We used to market ourselves as the fastest-growing Nordic Ski-specific podcast. We might be that. Okay, back it up. Sorry. So we're the second-largest endurance-focused podcast probably in Lake County, and we're the largest Nordic Ski-specific podcast in all of Lake County. That's where I wanted to go. Anyway, we're glad you could join us. Merry Christmas. It's December 26, and I think I can say now that I've reached the end of what has been a very crazy and busy last probably about 45 days or so. Um, and, you know, in that 45 day span, I probably woken up 44 of those days and thought today is the day that I will record a podcast and I will give the world a little look inside my thoughts. And, you know, it happened three or four days. I actually had a couple of long rambling dissertations on a myriad of subjects um and they're just going to kind of they've been deleted or they're just going to sit in these unused files um waiting to be hacked um by by someone, you know, at some point they'll find my laptop and they'll use it against me maybe or maybe they won't, you know. Uh but <clears throat> anyway, we're saving you the listeners some of those opinions and we're just going to hop right into the present. Hop right into the present, which coming up this this upcoming week here in the Nordic ski world is the Tour de Ski. Uh and you know that for me the Tour de Ski has a lot of emotional uh, attachment because, you know, like many things in cross-country ski, I have, I have all these opinions about how things should be done. Actually, before we talk about the Tour de Ski, we, we should probably back up a little bit and discuss our takeaways from Davos. And, you know, we were fortunate to be behind the mic announcing at one forty-five in the morning on the second day, Davos, and a little less early, the first day of the sprints, the sprints was—that uh, that event was really exciting, obviously. Federico Pellegrino comes back, takes down Clabo and a th- uh finish. Um, and then on the women's side, you know, Jesse Diggins just had a really good weekend, to be honest. And I feel most bad that through all of my prep coming into the announcing that I, I did not know that her win— on Sunday, in the distance, the twenty k was the record breaking win. So the most winningest all time U S. Uh, world Cup skier. I'm bummed I didn't know that. I kind of put that on fist a little bit. You know they produce those media handouts that have just kind of some random facts, and sometimes sometimes they're better than others. I think I feel like in the Alpine world, the the fact sheets are pretty. Um, uh, how do I say this? They they have the most important things in there, you know, like they're not going to miss anything, and it, it kind of just it's it's from most important to least important, and 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 like you know, Michaela Schifrin has five or six points, and then Petra Volva has five or six points, and and then the other athletes do, and they they have little anecdotes that are that okay, here's some storylines we could be watching for, and they're they're usually very very statistically based, and the cross country one, I've noticed that. It just seems like they're they're telling like the seventh in line person like oh crap we got to get those cross country media guide things out and you know sometimes they're they're not great and and it's yeah you don't really know does, does this person really know cross country skiing I feel like they just googled the sport chose three or four athletes and then found a few facts not a, not always I mean there, there's definitely been some cases in there where they have found things that are important but I don't feel like they even take the, the most notable athletes sometimes and then even when they do sometimes they don't have the most important facts the Diggins one that should have been in there like they should have they should have uh known that she was kind of coming I'm a little surprised well I should say I'm not super surprised that um Jessie Diggins herself did not mention that you know she had she had said um or I had sent her some questions she replied to and uh the last one I think you know was a anything else and she didn't bring that up and I guess if I was in our situation I maybe wouldn't have either but yeah, uh, well okay I take that back I'm probably I'm too self-absorbed I'd have been like by the way if I win today you know be the most winningest skier in our country's history um That actually brings me behind the curtain moment here. So if you're if you're still tuned in, we're just five minutes in. If you've already left the show, I'm sorry that I've already bored you to death. I want to get to this a little bit, but I do want to give a a big shout out, a big thank you to the U.S. cross country skiers who helped me in the broadcast prep. Before I do those those uh, shows, I really try to start a couple weeks in advance. You know, I'm I'm trying to daily just kind of read a couple of the American sites, a lot of the European cross-country sites to sort of get a general vibe of what's going on. And I noticed that this is actually just kind of what I've done in sports in general for the last several years, you know, like during most of my uh, meals or, you know, if I'm just kind of the scrolling moments of my life, I'm not often scrolling like social media. I do that an okay amount, but I uh, definitely am not scrolling like YouTube and stuff like that, but I am I'm scrolling news sites. And I think coming from my running career, I've been kind of used to doing that with Let's Run dot com. And, you know, now sometimes Twitter is actually a, an OK place to to see if you're following enough people, you know, what's sort of happening right here and right now. Uh, but yeah, cross country It's like I, I should be doing this with cross country skiing because I think that's one reason I could hop behind a mic and talk about running, even though I'm not really in the sport, I could talk about it for a long time. Cause I'm just kind of always exposed to so much running content. And so I've been trying to do more of that with cross country skiing, actually, um, i that weeks in advance. But then, you know, in and amongst my other jobs, I definitely send out emails to, Various media contacts, coaches, and athletes directly, even, and just kind of send them, tell them who I am, send them a list of questions, and kind of say, "Hey, like, you know, this is going to enhance the broadcast. Can you tell me about what the course is like? Can you tell me about what your is like? How are you feeling right now? What did you think about your last race? Um, how are you kind of moving forward? Where does this fit into your plan?" Just, just tons of questions like that, um, and it's it's kind of interesting to see w- the responses I get. Um, and I don't know if for those of you listening, if you know, you know, like the big time guys in the Super Bowl or even just any NBA game or, you know, football Sunday game, they have media meetings with coaches and coaches, uh, head coaches, position coaches, key players will come in and talk to the radio and TV guys for a couple hours and they will talk about extremely specific strategical things, things that are, you know, unlock and key because, if a broadcaster was to turn around and give them to another coach, like it would be detrimental to the strategy and they have those, that's a very normal part of the broadcast. And, um, I, I would venture to guess, you know, that over the course of a game, they're they're not even disseminating, disseminating, there we go. Disseminating, you know, more than like 30% of the info they probably get because I would imagine two or three hours with a coach, you know, and the lid comes off, like they're going to give a, a ton of stuff. So that's kind of what I've been trying to bring to the broadcast. I feel like it's it's a lot of extra tracking down and a lot of extra work um, but I think one, I need it because unlike an Andy Newell or um, a Devin Kershaw, I have not skied on the World Cup and so I don't have that idea of like, this is what it's like to stand on this part of the course um, even just course strategy in general. You know, I've got no idea on that. So that's a huge thing that I, I desire to get from athletes is just tell me a little bit about this venue. You know, like if you were doing the broadcast, what would what would be the key points that you would definitely want to note when it comes to the venue and how that relates to strategy and how that relates to who it might benefit? Um, and so I kind of do that. It takes a long time to, to track people down, but not a lot of people will respond to this. And I know some of it's like there's a ton of... It, things going on for these athletes. So well, before the Davos broadcast, it was pretty crazy that like the two people who, who did send or three people, JC Schoomaker, <clears throat> Gus Schumacher, and Jesse Diggins sent me stuff. It's like, you know, I I, I wish I could almost have like an off the record conversation, even with like Diggins about, it's pretty crazy. Isn't it that y- you're the one who has like probably the least amount of time and the most pressure uh, going on, from obligations, media-related, team-related, training-related. And she's the one who sent me the longest audio file. You know, I think that kind of says something. Maybe not. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit inexcusable, too. Maybe the rest of the team, you know, afterwards, like, guys, you know, send your three-minute clip to, to the broadcaster, okay? It adds. Uh, but I, anyway, I thought that was cool. And a lot of the things she had told me kind of came to fruition, too. You know, in her race... And I, try, I tried to liven the broadcast with that as well. So I don't know if, if people noticed that or if, you know, I know some people have muted the broadcast. They th- they find me cringeworthy behind the mic. Um, okay, fine. Uh, but, it, you know, I did try to bring that in where, hey, that course was one that's sneaky hard and it has a, – a, you're never really out of it and you have to work the downhills and some people won't. And that can be a determining factor. And if you look at Diggins Race, that's like really what what it came down to. You know, she the sneaky hard part about it had her focusing on a lot of those process-oriented goals that she talks about related to technique, related to her mindset. Um, she also talked about that, and I brought that into the broadcast. That sort of thing just suits a skier like her really well. Uh, Of course you know, she was in the lead or close to it where she was coming through the time checks and then um, Ostberg started to pass her, but not by a lot. And, and when you came in that last one, I remember thinking like, well, it kind of sucks that Davos has two camera angles that we're working with here, but, you know, by the way, they're going down a hill right now. So if Diggins um, is correct in saying what, you know, she meant about the downhills being a key section, you know, she might be making up time right now. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so kind of cool that those things came around and, and really it was a, it was a lucky thing with, for me on the broadcast to have that work. Um, you know, as far as reflections on this, this race too, well, so first of all, so backing up, Hey, thank you guys. If I don't know if this will get to you at all, but thank you athletes. Thank you coaches. When you are able to, to send me stuff really makes a huge difference. And I think, um, you know, especially when it comes to, You know, put if when you put yourself in the broadcaster's shoes or in the audience's shoes, like what do they need to know about this venue specifically, and and thinking about that because I think that's maybe one of the most important things. Like when you're watching the race, you want to know the stakes and the storylines, and the broadcaster ought to be able to go and find out the stakes. Um, and they ought to be able to find out some of those storylines too and, and bring them to the table and know, Hey, here's the key players. Here's what's been going on with them. Here's, here's where we're at in this drama of 2022, 2023. Um, but interrelated you know, related with that is now we're in this venue and you need to know that this is going to happen and we should be looking for this and we would expect this to happen. Um, and You know, being as candid as possible, kind of going into that mindset, coaches and athletes, if you do ever if you're ever given that chance to do this, because I think it helps the sport be be be, you can be more open than normal because, um, you know, as far as strategy goes, this stuff isn't like we're not going to like pass this along to Norwegian coaches. You know, like I'm still waiting. I think it'd be sweet if, uh, you know, somehow, some way, you know, the wax techs give me a wax report like, hey, this is what we used on the skis today. You know, that how cool would that be? Now, you know, maybe <laughs> that they're then they're taking us really behind the scenes. Um, but man, for the viewers, it'd be an incredible product. Uh this this maybe is a good time. So thank you. Thank you, coaches. Thank you, athletes, when you help out. I appreciate it. And next time behind the, I'm behind the mic I'll I'll um I'll be reaching out again. So this kind of brings me to an interesting thought I had. Um about cross-country skiing and the product from a broadcasting standpoint, uh, media standpoint. Something I think that is not equal with cross-country skiing compared to some of the major sports. So I've noticed that journalists kind of come alongside skiers a lot. And I'm not like Innocent of this, I definitely kind of do it too. You know, like, hey, I'm a skier. I race. I do this sport too. And and I noticed that uh that you're in the World Cup, and so we're like friends now. You know, if you listen to my Zach Cuddersen show, you're probably like, wow, this guy thinks he's like best friends with Zach Cuddersen, which I am. You know, uh, obviously no, but <laughs> I think uh, we do make this mistake of kind of being buddy buddy with these guys, writing their stories, and and because of that, we we don't ask them the tough questions that the big sports stars always get from the media and then at the same time we sort of expect the country ski fans and i think skiers do too that like well why why can't they you know up the uh, up the production here and and up the quality here and those things aren't directly related but they're kind of related like the reason Kevin Durant is getting drilled every time he's in a press conference and Kyrie Irving has to answer insanely personal questions. And, I mean, you just go right down the line. Any NFL star, NBA star, look at Zion Williamson and, like, the um, scrutiny he had from his injuries and his playing weight. And, I mean, it was like, I I just kind of, like, watch that stuff and I go, think if this was, like, a female cross-country skier, how how much that would be uncalled for and inappropriate in, in our media circles. Like, you just cannot do that. And not saying that that's appropriate, by the way. I'm not saying, like, we should be doing that. Uh, but but I just, like, I want to point out this contrast that these players, when they make claims, and sometimes they're even off-the-court claims, religious, racial-related, um, uh, about the COVID vaccine. I mean, it's like these athletes speak out, and then the reporters come the media jackals, as Dan Barrera would say, they come after the athletes and they, 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 put them, they pin them down and go, okay, you said this, you got to answer to it. And, um, we don't have that really in cross country ski circles. Uh, they so Diggins, uh, she was, you know, on a media call recently and I did not hop on it, but and I think Jesse Diggins is great. I'm a I'm a huge fan of her and I think this is what makes it difficult, is we don't really want to ask someone like Diggins like a question that would be hard for her to answer. We wanna answer the or we wanna ask the question, you know, like, gee, it was so amazing how you fought through all that um pain in the 30k and the Olympics and like what does that mean for you and your legacy? We like to ask those questions, you know. What does this mean for you? Um, you know, what did that mean to you? uh, okay, like maybe we should try and learn something here. Um, and again, I'm not saying I'm innocent of this. I do do this. And if I was, if I would have been on that media call, I probably would have been like, Hey, huge fan here. Can you just repeat after me so I can get this audio file? Hi, I'm Jess Diggins. And you're listening to the Cedar Skewer podcast, you know, and then they would have kicked me off the zoom meeting. Um, but you no, know, when I listened through that, that that was the thought I had. I was like, "Wow, we we lob softball questions to endurance sports athletes pretty pretty much all the time. Why is that?" Um, part of the reason I think is because most of the journalists in these niche sports also pre- perform the niche sports themselves. You know, like, if you think about a lot of the people in that room, they either enjoy cross-country skiing, they had a collegiate cross-country ski career, they still race as a citizens racer in a master's division, like, you know, they're doing all those things, they're, they're still very highly connected to the sport, they're, they, they've they coached before, whatever it is, and um they feel that it's a fraternity, they want to be in that fraternity, and it makes no sense to, like, ruffle feathers within the family, and that, that makes some sense, too, like, you know, their jobs kind of depend on it as well. Like if you ask the one question that really ticks Johannes Klabo off or Jess Diggins off, like do you think that you're going to get another opportunity to – um, sit down and have an interview with them and then write your big New York times piece or your big feature piece for faster skier or whatever. Probably not. You know, it's, it's already, even, even for people who are on the good side of those athletes, it's very difficult to, to get, get access to some of them. And it's kind of mysterious. Like some people you can send an Instagram instant message to, and they reply immediately. And, and some people you like have actual email addresses and they don't reply, you know, and, Um, so, or you, or you have a media contact and they just say, no, you, sorry, you know, but, but if you're the Peter Doocy of cross country ski media circles, you're probably going to get even less. So we have this kind of toxic environment, I think, and by toxic, I mean, it's, um, it's not, it's not true like investigative open and honest you know like there should be a situation where an athlete goes hey it's part of my duty to respond to the media and the media has a right to ask me kind of any question that they want you know and like i don't have to answer all those questions but i shouldn't be like um using a, a, a from a position of power which i have as an athlete the ability to like just dictate all the narratives uh, and I, I do think that that can happen sometimes. Um, whereas in bigger sports, the Tom Brady's they have to a- they have to ask answer questions about like, hey, I noticed you were gone from the first hour of. This training camp here in year twenty three you know mid July Tom Brady does he really need to go to training camp anyway? I noticed you were gone and and uh it you know what's going on at your home like you're going through a divorce and your kids it's like they're asking insanely personal questions you know to like literally the greatest most successful team sport athlete in world history you know and 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 there are there there are viral moments cuz these people crack too you know like poor brady you got to you almost feel for the guy like when he kind of responds to those people like hey i got a lot going on in my life you know um and 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 i i think you know what i what i'm asking for or what i'm kind of pointing out it's hard because you know if i was in their shoes would i want that not really you know i would rather have intimate little media calls where it's all positive it's all duckies and bunnies and um if you don't get the reference sorry um <laughs> i i would rather have that and and i'd rather as a journalist i do tend to try to like only write really positive stuff too like if i get and i almost never get something where it's like hey look into this this isn't seem so good for the community like i i'm i'll cover it when i need to but but I definitely want to take an athlete, pump them up, be the local rah 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 journalist for me. So I mean, it, it's tough. It's like how much do we how much do we sway this balance? Like we're trying to grow excitement for the sport in our U.S. ski, ski community. So does it really help to like drill these journalists down? Yeah, okay, probably not. Like we need more uh, positive thinking stories. We need we need to hear the everyone in their best light all the time. But at the same time, like. Uh, I guess I'm what I'm just pointing out is there's a little bit of a danger there like if if the athlete can dictate the access and in doing so kind of dictate the narratives by by creating this environment where a journalist would never want to ask a tough question because they know if they do they won't get access which then they won't write stories and then that will be bad for them if they can do that like that could be potentially negative. And it's just not real. I think I think people are naturally drawn to some of the things that are real. Now, the flip side of this is how annoying is it to go to ESPN and, like, you can't find any actual news stories? It's always, like, you know, some dumb thing about um, who, who, insert name of star who journalists can get, like, a clickbait quote for. Okay, that's stupid. Like, we shouldn't as journalists be trying to find the clickbait audio file, the headline – uh, that's super annoying like let's just ask athletes honest questions and sometimes tricky questions and um anyway i I think there's a few out there that i I know that I would ask some of these I would have asked some of these athletes um you know so I, sometimes we missed the boat sorry a little bit of long rambling dissertation on that I didn't expect to to go quite as long on that point but but we did so brought it up. Another thing, now that we're kind of on this production um idea, I don't know if you, you listen to the Faster Skier podcast, the most recent one. And who was the guy they had on? Oyston Pedersen, I think. A Norwegian skier, which he apparently has a podcast too. I gotta start listening to that. Like I always love it when I get more content put in my face that like, oh, I could check that out. Um so he's on the show, if they're talking a little bit about what do they need to do to fix the World Cup. Um and, you know, particularly this dominance in men's distance skiing. um, And I, I had, so first of all, I was really excited listening to it. I thought it was a great show. And it was, uh, I was listening to it on, the, on a ski and I was laughing. I always have to stop and laugh every, uh, a few times when I'm listening to that show. And then also I, I often, often, often need to like pull out a notebook and like write stuff down. Although I rarely carry you know reporters notebooks in my spandex so i'm always kind of like trying to file away these these deep thoughts and then bring them back to my show and it's not working so well you know when you try to file away those thoughts along with other things in your life and then 40 days later you're like what was i thinking um but this one is fairly fresh so i think i can kind of respond to it a little bit so th- the first thing and if you didn't listen to the show, sorry, I'll, I'll catch you a little bit up to speed. Again, they were trying to, they were discussing some ideas of like how do you, how do you fix the sport a little bit? So trying to make it so we're not just seeing ten Norwegians come in in you know the top fifteen or or top ten even sometimes. Um, and what do we do there? Also, how do we fix kind of the quality, the production side of the sport? How do we just make? How do we save the sport in general so it, so it gets bigger and it grows and it becomes like biathlon, which apparently is the most amazing thing ever. I don't know. Whenever I when I watch biathlon, I am not like that intrigued. Sorry. So if you're out there and you're like, "I'm a huge biathlon fan." What are you talking about? And and they do everything right. It's like, I don't know, man. Like I'm not it's not that crazy fascinating. Now, the concept of it sounds kind of intriguing, but every time I watch a biathlon event, I'm not like sucked in. Uh and so, sorry. But <laughs> I think I think they're both kind of niche sports and honestly, biathlon is like it's like the nicheness of cross-country skiing plus like a nerd factor kind of. And I love you biathletes. So I'm not saying that is like a demeaning way, but like, let's be honest here. Like when you think about, now the history behind biathlon is so fascinating, but like what we're doing now seems so far removed from that. You, It's more just like you've got all the, the nerdy mechanical side of skis, which is already kind of nerdy, like having fast skis and the science of training and all that. And then you, you obviously do have the blend of athleticism and like the guts of skiing. That's a very real like warrior like thing. Uh, but yeah, the you know, target practicing and guns and all these things. It's like, I don't know. I kind of feel like those guys who live like out in Montana and actually do like wild elk hunting. They look at a biathlete, you know, some guy dressed in spandex shooting a rifle, at a little target in a confined venue. And they'd be like, so that's where we're at. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Okay. Let's, let's focus. Reign it in. Here's, here's the first thing I want to bring up Norwegian dominance. It, they're not that dominant. That I know, like, in the immediate context, they're very dominant. But let's get a grip on ourselves here. Okay. Like, in the wider context of sporting dominance, they're not that dominant. They just aren't. Okay. First of all, Uh, let's go back to the, like the things that matter in the scope of history, you know, like world championships, Olympic golds. Um, have you ever heard of Alexander Bolshanov? You know, like, uh, the Norwegians have not won that many distance championships and that's a big deal. Um, in the World Cup distance races on a week-by-week basis, are they slinging in uh, in and having huge demonstrations of depth? Yes, they are. But even that, I, I just like... I think about, you know, like the Golden State Warriors. Did they ruin the NBA? No. And seven years ago, or yeah, it was less than that, like five years ago, you know, they had they had made the NBA finals four or five five years in a row. And and not only that, they four of those in a row. It was Warriors versus Cleveland. You know, basically the NBA had been boiled down to it's it's the Warriors versus whatever team LeBron James is on. Like now if you if you really are smart you look at that and you go well lebron was, is probably the most influential individual player in sports history in the sense that whatever team he went to in his prime he could take from the from the basement to 65 wins and and an NBA finals i mean that's just that's amazing you know like we should be not going well we need to fix this now let's make trade rules so he can't do this or he can't do that no like that the solution to sports is is never let's make more regulations. It's it should be a capitalistic, free, open market society, and let the chips fall where they may. When you when you have that in place, um, the tides naturally flow in and out. Are you going to have stretches of dominance? Sure, but like I, I think, and especially in cross country skiing too, like we're not that far removed—less than ten years—where like. You know, there was a little bit of a vacancy there even in, in Norwegian distance dominance. And I, I actually brought this up on email. I kind of sent in reply to the show that, like, we're not that far. Oh, let me see where where can I find this? Um, da 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 da, da. Uh, Well, oh, well, for here, remember, Dario won three Olympic 15Ks in a row. Now, the last one was just four and a half years ago. You know, like, uh, those – those types of statistics, I think, need to be pointed out. Like, I think it's a little bit too much of a Norwegian arrogance, even, that to say, like, hey, look, we're winning so much. What can we do to help make things more fair? Like, no, go away. We're going to come beat you fair and square. We'll come after you. We'll train harder. We'll get in that pack and make it rain. <laughs> if you don't get that reference, sorry. It's one of our favorite audio clips. Um, <clears throat> and, I, and I think, like, it just... Uh, yeah like that that part kind of grinds me a little bit but but my point is the norwegian distance dominance right now the world cup is nowhere near as dominant as many 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 other examples in team sports in America internationally look at soviet pair skating just google that like just olympic after olympic after olympic gold medals you know um even like in the nfl the patriots were going to they went to you know 12 13 14 AFC championship games it's fine like we'll live through this you know the Yankees their dominance in the 20s and 30s and then again in the 50s and 60s and then again in the 90s and like they basically never you know like um it, it's just I think you gotta you gotta uh, now you can't make it so that it's unfair in, a, in an other you know against people like if the Norwegians have a distinct advantage that um is not attainable by other nations maybe maybe those things have to come down but but i do not like the idea of trying to add in rules that would deliberately hinder the norwegians so that they come back to the pack because one i think it's it's not clear how far away they are from the pack and two that's that's just not how you fix things. You fix things in an open market manner. If you don't, you're just strapping yourself up for someone else to gain that new system. Um and 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 then you got to add more rules and morals. It it's just this is the same thing in economics too. It's like you 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 need to be very careful as you put barriers around, otherwise you you just you end up having everyone be equally miserable, you know? Um so but so that's, that's my first point on that reaction of like fixing skiing, how dominant the Norwegians. Hey, let's just take a, let's take a, a time check here. And looking at the immediate, the immediate stars here on the Norwegian side too, like uh, Holland's getting near the end of his time. Kruger is sort of at the end of his prime. Like, who knows? Maybe he'll have a good twilight. Maybe he won't. Like, he's definitely very good now. Uh, so is Holland. Um, they, they got a lot of old people like Shirota too. Like he did, he had a great race. Diedrich Todd and Seth, like a lot of these guys are, are, uh, the veterans, they're veterans, you know, like, let's see what happens once they filter out. Let's see how these Americans end up developing. Um, and let's see if Sweden has some, some people who could be really good. Uh, I think we have to kind of wait and see what we have. The, of course, the Russians too. Like, I, I think it's kind of, you know, when people go, well, it's just Russia versus Norway and that's uninteresting. That's not uninteresting. You know, that that's cool. That's two Titans, the two best. Like it's what's boring is when the Russians aren't there. Because now if Schumacher gets fourth or fifth or something like that happens, you're going, Well, let's see. Let's add in the the Russian asterisk. You know, he might have been eleventh. We don't even know. Um that's the stuff that hurts the sport. Like, we want to see the best battle the best. And sometimes the excitement factor of coming to watch a race is there's there's two guys who are way above the rest and so we're excited to see which of them comes out on top Cl- clabo or bolshinov um and we're also excited to see an upset like the thing that made pellegrino's race so amazing and so exciting was the clabo's 122 of his last 24 sprints and he's the greatest that there ever was so when you see someone take him down that's pretty dang sweet And, you know, I was very uninterested in watching the races where he where Clabo was not present. That just does nothing for me. Who cares who wins this now? You know, like it's it's like if you took out the Patriots in their prime and just said, hey, you guys are banned for the next four years. Sorry. No. Any Super Bowl there would have had a clear asterisk to it. Uh, That's dumb. We don't want to see that. You know, like we want to see the very best in action. And that's that's part of our human natural tendency to to gravitate towards those stakes and storylines is you can't take out the key stakeholder in the stake you know like i don't know what, what that didn't even make sense but i i thought stakeholder and stake maybe went along um <clears throat> so don't don't throw those guys out it, they are exciting it's exciting to see russians and norwegians now this isn't a rant by the way uh like anti devin kershaw's take by the way i I think it's also not good if people are sending him messages like hey quit talking so negative about the world cup. No 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 no. Again, you you need to allow this this free free market open free open market society, right? Like journalists should be able to come out here and speak their mind and go that's not right. They need to call things as they see it. They need to call things out. And so when he says that um you know these athletes aren't performing well or i know um i know that that person's got more in his tank or or he says you know hey that was an amazing performance him being honest is what draws people to a show for one and it also draws the sport forward it it pushes people it pushes the fans and it's because of the honesty like we we are gonna we're gonna catch it the second it's if you start becoming a the cross country version of a poll ad pro- pocket protector and you're just kind of the poll ads own the Minnesota twins. So you know there's some journalists who they don't care about the poll ads being really stingy in their pockets and not signing free agents because they know fans are just gonna come to sit at Target Field regardless of the product on the field. That that's what I mean by that. So yeah, we, you can't you can't be a journalist who's like that. You gotta you gotta uh, especially if you're as informed as Devin Kershaw is. So my my uh, point there is Hey, journalists, keep being honest, keep pointing things out on the ski side. Skiers keep trading hard. Let's take, take down the Norwegians, you know, like that's the care to do. We don't want to have a product where we've tailored it to somehow make it more fair. Now I will say this, the solution by Pedersen was genius about having it be pro teams. Here's why um and first of all that idea was on one of my shows i think i even brought that up on a show that got published but if i didn't i know i have like a recording somewhere of me talking like dude we should just have like pro ski teams right this is probably not a novel idea but i think it's kind of interesting how i in the last month brought this up and then it's on the actual ski podcast that people listen to with like thousands of viewers versus, versus this one that has like 30 um and so his idea was let's have professional teams around the world, just like every other sport. And you could you could draft them. You could you could um, kind of spread them out initially. I don't know however expansion leagues usually work. Probably an expansion draft. You have to do that. And so you've got 12, 13 teams. And every week, they've got four or five starters. And they compete. And you can make trades and free agency, coaches. This is an important part, coaches and wax techs. They also just kind of go to whatever team signs them. Eventually, you just set it up like the NBA or the NFL where like a coach could do really well and another team might, you know, offer him a bigger deal or a coach does bad. He gets fired, you know, and and another team picks him up in some other capacity like it would just operate exactly like every other professional sport. And you, you spread them out like that. Now, every world championships, every Olympics, what happens? Well, you get together like you are now, where U.S. guys get with U.S. guys, U.S. girls with U.S. girls. The coaches all come together. It's, it's, it's like the Olympics, just like it is in basketball. Team USA, you know, Team Norway. And, and um, what you would see is, like, first of all, a natural way, if there, if there is one, of, of trying to spread out the gift to God's green earth that the Norwegians are, you know, from an athlete perspective, now they're not all together. And it does. Well, even if there's eight Norwegians in the top 10, people are noticing that because the real stake in the ground is that, oh, the, the Park City Pioneers athlete, Johannes Klabo, was first. And, you know, this the Minneapolis uh, miracle athlete, Diedrich Tonseth, was fourth, you know, like you'd be keeping track of it in a totally different capacity. You wouldn't be paying attention to that other side. Um, and, And not only that, if you spread out those Norwegians, now those Norwegians spread across the globe are in a competitive, incentivized environment, helping out their teammates from other countries. You know, if Clabo's in Park City on the Park City Pioneers team and his teammates are Ben Ogden and um, Joe Bag of Donuts from, you know, Germany, uh, and he's got some other veteran on the team from Switzerland, and maybe he, maybe they lucked out, they got a great draft, they also have Sean Ava, and, you know, that's, that's the primo team, the, uh, the prima donna team to be on. Anyway, you know, Clabo and Clabo is giving them secrets. He's giving them technique help. Like they're all training together in an environment that's lifting up athletes from other countries. Uh, and then from a coaching and wax tech perspective, all of a sudden we'll really find out just how good some of these athletes are and just how reliant they were on the, the knowledge and ability of making fast skis. That might actually be one of the most important aspects Um, advantages for some countries because those those people become pretty big you know like they're going to be signed on as staff for all those pro teams just like any other staff member would in any other league so maybe clabo's wax tech ends up with him but maybe he doesn't you know like that's up to the park city budget to like go, yeah how how much can we allocate for this how much can we allocate for that again open market free market you got to make these decisions and let competition Rule the roost, so to speak. Uh, It would it would be fantastic from that standpoint. So so it so his idea. Patterson they didn't really talk about this, but his idea solves the whole Norwegians are ahead of us problem. If there is that problem, it solves it. It also brings and lifts up. It does so by lifting up all the countries in a natural way in a competitive sphere, uh, open market society. The other thing it does is it enhances the product. It fi- it fixes that the cross-country, the fist show, is kind of a crap show. Production's not good. There's not enough money. Fans aren't interested. Why does it fix that? Well, because if you have teams spread all over the globe that are interesting to follow and, and you've got superstars in the sport in Minneapolis, in Park City, in Lake Placid, in Canmore— let me just go down the list okay of my teams I had this idea like i think you I think what you have to do is you got to put teams in places that are you know have some ski history rich history places people want to live people that have good nordic communities so they're they're gonna be supportive of it they're going to come to their venues and support their team uh, and, and probably already have world cup stops you know they've they've hosted world cups uh they have roller ski tracks they've got all that kind of stuff so i think I think what you do and, I, and I, I probably have too many American ones in here, but that's just me thinking, like, hey, if you get, if you get the U.S. to be invested in a sport, that sport's going to be better off financially and everything anyway. So uh, Park City, Lake Placid or Anchorage, Canmore, Quebec City. Those are my four North American stops. My logic there, Park City, like, that's a, that's a no-brainer no They've hosted Olympics. They're going to host another Olympics. They have incredible facilities. They—they're empl- everyone would want to be, um, in the Park City team. I think Lake Placid is similar. It's kind of the sea level northeast version of Park City. You know, let's let's draw in New York, like the the big media market of New York, the big media market of Lake Placid, um, Anchorage. I think definitely could support its own team. They probably have the most cross country, you know, fans, ski fans. Um, parker city you're going to be split between all the other snow sports honestly um so those would be good good north american ones canmore another dream location right kind of in that olympic area the vancouver olympics um and the canadian training center is kind of already there they've got infrastructure same thing with quebec city although i wouldn't really want to be in the quebec city team <laughs> i'm not gonna lie uh oslo lillehammer there's your two norwegian ones same reasons davos somewhere in russia you got to have a couple russian teams okay you just do uh ruka finland or ruka or finland somewhere you have a team in falun or somewhere in sweden somewhere in italy somewhere in china somewhere in austria somewhere in switzerland so 13 or 14 teams okay those are the locations. That's how you structure it. You do an expansion draft. You split up the coaches. You split up the wax techs. You, you figure out those budgets. You you set some league rules in place as far as trades go, free agency, um, all of those parameters that you have. Follow, follow successful ones, NFL, MLB, maybe, I don't know, NBA, pro soccer, whatever you want. Uh, get those things in order. World championships, everyone goes back and competes for their own countries. Olympics, everyone competes for their own countries um but everything else works like a pro league and you know what what would the world cup actually like the races look like you'd still have your like individual stuff people would be chasing all those things could remain the same um uh, but you would you'd have to throw in a dynamic of a team uh team component team points component that would really really matter you could have it matter financially you could also just have it matter from a like championship standpoint like like the Super Bowl people aren't like oh yes I got my $25,000 Super Bowl bonus like that should hopefully be something that's not as big a deal as just winning winning the overall title would be the big deal uh that that's going to take some time it always kind of does but if it's creative it's going to um it's going to help and, and along this kind of change i think you could make some different maybe you do make some different events that that pull together the team oriented aspects some sort of relays that matter more um you know maybe an agility type like nordic extreme event once or twice i don't you know like add in like an 80 kilometer race uh they could do a lot of different stuff prologue like tour de france type stuff they could do all that stuff that to make it a little bit different, but the point is that sets up as a pro team. So the reason this kind of solves, sorry, going back to why does this sort of solve the viewership interest part when you have it spread out in all those cities now, now like people in park city are cheering for a Norwegian athlete. They're, they're worshiping him. Just like they would worship a Luka Doncic in Dallas Um, international stars in American cities. You see that in soccer and baseball as well. People will get into it. If the team is good and it has a good, um an interesting format to follow give it some time people will get into it also those people just being in the community i mean the the accessibility of cross-country skiing at first is going to make that kind of fascinating like oh my gosh these athletes like live in minneapolis or why did not i have minneapolis down add minneapolis to the list they needed a pro team uh they're going to be in those places it's going to be kind of interesting they'd be like you know if you're a basketball team, you don't get the you, you you rarely would be like walking to the gym and all of a sudden you see like the Minnesota Timberwolves coming out of the gym. But in cross-country skiing, it would be kind of like that. Like here we are at Theodore Worth training, and oh, I just saw Zach Henderson, you know, finish his workout, and that's pretty sweet. He's like a pro skier. Um, oh, before I uh, talk about the product, the other thing that would be fascinating here, and this would be kind of a bummer if you've currently lived a World Cup career as an American or Canadian. Because as as hard as it is, it's a very hard life. It's also kind of a, a fun adventure life too. I think I think most of those athletes would admit like it's kind of a cool stage of life where you're you packing up, you're going over to Europe, you're hanging with your buddies, you can just ski the best places in the world, you're competing on the top stage, but you're you're training and racing and doing a sport that you love in the in the prettiest places possible to do it, and that's pretty cool, you know. And then you grow closer to your American teammates and your coaches, and it's a family that would be taken away. In this format, because now you have to be, you know, if a team has maybe a, a 12 roster team, like the top five are competing every week, you know, so it's going to be tough to make the cut, so to speak. Um, And, and this is the reality in the NFL rosters, right? The, the summer training camps, like making those cuts is a big deal. And it's survival of the fittest, and even on an NBA roster, a 12-man roster, like there's a lot of people who don't see playing time, or they get three minutes of playing time, and this would force the issue for for countries like the U.S. to get really serious. Like all of a sudden, being a World Cup skier in America or Canada, if you that that would be a bigger accomplishment because theoretically, it's going to be harder to find your place on a start line as an American compared to what it is now uh which is kind of crazy to think about but it it has it's the truth like if you are now competing against you know for a top five spot on the park city team you know or you're trying to get drafted by the team in lake placid you know coming out of college like that team is gonna have to go hmm is that athlete good enough to break into our top five break into our top 12 I don't know we've got three Norwegians this really good German This really good Swiss athlete like I don't think it's gonna happen we're not gonna draft you you know we're gonna draft that other Norwegian kid and, and like I think it, it will be like soccer was at first two where like no one's signing up any U.S. soccer players right they are they're going over to Europe they're, they're going to Brazil they're going to these places that are soccer rich countries now is that still true Not as much. There's a lot more American men who are playing in the Premier League and playing in some of those big leagues. So it's possible to grow, but it would immediately have the effect of like I think some of the athletes that we love uh, and are following closely, but haven't really made that World Cup breakthrough. They might not be um, a starter, you know, and that that would be hard. I'm I think that would be like something as a fan. I go, oh man, like I really like that athlete. They were a World Cup athlete. They were getting World Cup starts. Now they're just like off, you know. But, hey, that's that's competition at work. Like now that next generation coming up is going to go, oh, it's not good enough to just be a U.S. junior champion. And that's my ticket um, in the inside track to being on the World Cup in a few years. Sorry, that's not going to be good enough. Like you have to know that if you want to make it to the World Cup, you have to be the best in the world. Like you have to be better than those other guys, too, those other girls, too. So uh, that's, sorry, those other women too. By the way, I don't know if people are aware though, like, you know, girls, that's like an AP style thing for um, under 18, I think. Like, that's at least what I've been told um, in my writing. I can't say like high school women, high school girls. Okay, where are we? <laughs> what a great little tail end of that rant. So, production. I think when you start to have this point, Pedersen brought up is when you start to have um, teams that are competitive you're going to find those major donors who are interested in investing in a product because they see the return. You know, Cla- Clabo's in Park City. Yeah, like I'm I'm going to pour some money into that because he's the biggest star in the world. He's in the biggest country, you know, the richest country in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm going to throw this money behind him. but you guys better go win the championship now. Uh, it it will be like Viz Mesquite Classics, and then eventually it could grow to being like, pro soccer i mean that's there's potential there i think in like the investors coming alongside in a free market situation and seeing where dollar signs right now like what's the incentive for them to to donate to a national team that's like you know a non-profit basically like that's that doesn't work you know now it works if you got a big great ski fan guy who just has a ton of money and doesn't know what to do with but yeah if you want a business model you got to follow some of these other leagues. So they go that way. Now you've got, you're already set up in venues that can hold fans. So you can have the World Cup now, instead of traveling to like four different spots over in Central Europe, have them come to each of the home team's venues. That's their home meet. They get to have a home meet. Okay, so you got to fly yourself over here. You know, it's not just one way. Everyone's kind of moving around the same equally equalness and and you could set up the schedule to still be environmentally friendly and like have a european stint and have the north American side of the calendar you could do all that stuff you know and and then have an an, a playoffs like a championship maybe just like the top four teams get to go to the championship you know like even that could be an incentive have not not instead of like a a world championships like we have now maybe every year there's like a super bowl or a, a championships and The top four teams in the standings go, and those teams get to vie for individual championships and a team championship. That would be a huge incentive from a team standpoint, right? Like, hey, sorry, you don't even get to go to the world championships, even though you're best ski in the world, because your team stinks, you know? Think about the athletes that they've had to deal with that. Kevin Garnett for seven years, right? The Timberwolves of bottom cellar dwellers. Sorry, you don't have any NBA titles. Oh, too bad. You know, like, legacy would be totally different. And the competitive structure would be so interesting, um, but as soon as you start getting those big donors coming in, now they can enhance the fan experience. They can enhance the TV product, and then it just kind of spirals from there. I mean, I think that idea is a brilliant uh, solution in so many ways, and it you can you can still hold on to so many of the traditions, especially the Olympic tradition. Like you don't have to get rid of that at all. That stays the exact same. You can have some ingenuity in the events, but you can keep some of the same events. Um, it, it definitely in a natural competitive, uh, incentive driven fashion spreads out some of the best talents from Scandinavian countries, some of the best coaching and athletic talents. Uh, and it does so in a way that lifts everyone else up and, and definitely cultivates excitement in the sport. So, Hey, big, big time solution there. I think I, I love the idea. I just want to expound upon it a little bit here on this segment, and um kind of go from there so it coming near to you the minneapolis what would the minneapolis team be Hmm. the minneapolis the minnesota vikings now we could probably play some sort of norwegian thing but the minneapolis minnesota thing i don't know if you've got some ideas too like i'd be interested to see what what sort of what cities am i missing there that like would have to have a team you know that have the infrastructure that have the fan base um I think America actually set up has has a few cities like that. Like if I was an athlete, I'd want to live in like bend, you know, and have a really long season or I'd want to live in Alaska. But, but some of those places might not be the best compared to like a park city where it's a little more glitzy or Minneapolis where it's big, you know, that, that stuff matters too. When you're thinking about big time growing the sport, uh, money, TVs, TV cameras, that's like, that kind of stuff. Okay. What else do we have here on the Cedar Skewer Podcast? Well, first I got to take a break. I got to refill the coffee, come back for our next segment, talk a little bit of pet peeves. Uh, and that's how we'll wrap up the show. All right. We're back. New coffee, new thoughts. So glad you could join us here on the Cedar Skewer Podcast. If you're still with us, I know we're long-winded. We're going to wrap up the show soon and uh, it's Tour to Ski Week. So we'll get excited. Let's Let's get some more. Let's get some more content out there. You know, maybe we'll do a show tomorrow. We could talk about some things. Um, you know, I didn't. I felt. I felt bad. I didn't really wrap up some of the Davos talking points I wanted to. So strictly speaking, Davos. One of the thoughts I had that people haven't really brought up is why is it that Davos is the if you're really an aerobic monster you do super well here. You know, um, obviously there's the. The nature of the course and the nature of it being at altitude, so gradual long uphills, working downhills. You know, it's going to lend to someone who doesn't need the recovery periods of a more punchy course. Um, But this sort of this idea made me feel like if I was an athlete on the World Cup in a sport that. Publicizes itself I guess as like the one that has the the fittest athletes on the on the planet. It would bother me if I was the best that I didn't also win and wasn't the best at a course like Davos you know because if your sport is the sport for aerobic the aerobic poster child sport and you're the best at that sport, then theoretically you're the aerobic President of the world, right? You should be. So it it's this is um this isn't like a you know every cross country ski race should be an uphill only event. Uh, it's not what I'm saying. Um, I, I'm saying that like cross country itself says we have the fittest athletes on the planet. Well, then the very best athlete should be the best in the course that tests fitness the most. So anyway, that 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 was this thought I had. So it's interesting how like sometimes on these events you'll see these fringe athletes who don't perform as well on almost any other course. They do really well on Davos, you know, and and it's kind of the same athletes who are going to do really well in that final stage of Val de Fiem. You know, now what makes me happy is when you see like the best athletes also, you know, they might win that final climb or their second or fifth or whatever. Or you know, here in Davos we had. Claubo still was had a pretty decent race in that 20K, especially if, considering he's kind of maybe under the weather. You know, he's, like, trying to sort of just um, come back from that. I'm, I'm assuming, like, that, that's not a bad showing. He It wasn't like he was 40th, you know. Um, But cross-country seems to kind of be a sport like that, and I, I just find that fascinating, you know. Like, we, on the show, we always sort of compare things to running. We bring it back to that kind of baseline sport, and I know they're not the same sport at all, but isn't it interesting how, like, the track is that true equalizer in terms of like, if you're the fastest here, you know, every, everyone's kind of, um, everyone's kind of doing the same thing. There's not like a, oh, this is a sprinter friendly course. So this course is going to be really friendly for descenders or climbers or the aerobic grinders or whatever um, on the track. It's all, it's all kind of the same. And I think that's, that is part of the reason why you tend to see like the same morpho type athletes on the, in track at, a, at an elite level you know, and, and I'm not saying like, that's how everything should be, you know, that that's, that's a unique thing to track. Uh, but, you know, the fittest athlete on the track is going to win that race unless something goes wrong. And, and now there's, yeah, there's some tacticalness about it too. But like, bottom line, if you're the fastest, you can be the fastest and it's on you. If you don't win, you know, the 400 meter hurdles is it's all the same, no matter where you are. And Cindy McLaughlin's going to win every single time. But in cross country, you know, there's all this variation, like some people do really well. And of course, it's really flat. Or if there's a long climb or like Davos, it brings out different types of athletes. And, and I think there's some uniqueness about that. And I like that. And I like how cross country does challenge athletes in a variety of different ways. And if you are someone who also likes that and you celebrate that, then I think you shouldn't be against events like the Valde fam final climb. Like I, I actually think the the World Cup it'd be cool if they did add more of that. Like you should make the athlete, you should test the athlete um, in a variety of ways. My one calm kind of about most these the World Cup races is the Davos is sort of an outlier. Oh yeah, here's a course with this long grinding climb and a working downhill. So. Basically, if you're in good shape, you're going to do well here. Like, come on. That's stupid. Everyone should be in really good shape, first of all. So, again, that it would bother me. Like, if I was someone who was winning every World Cup race and then I got, went to Davos and posted, like, a 30th or even a 10th, I'd be like, all right, what's the deal here? If I'm the best in the sport that's the most, you know, aerobically demanding sport, I should be the best kind of almost everywhere. Um, so, Yeah, it was just kind of like, I, I think that's kind of interesting. But, But I think more than that, yeah, it'd be cool if hey, this course is really a climb, climbing friendly course. This is kind of a really avant-garde thing like the Val de Fiemme. I, I think those sort of, those sort of things should be celebrated and integrated in more often. You shouldn't be someone who's like, well, I really like how cross country is really different and it tests downhill ability and ta- and tactics and all this. But that Val de Fiemme race is just a stupid thing. Like that's not even cross country skiing. Well, you can't have it both ways. You know, like if cross-country skiing is cross-country skiing, no matter where it is, then that's how it is. I have oatmeal boiling on the stove. I got to go grab that really quick. Wow, we saved the oatmeal, and I just talked for a long time, and I wasn't recording it. This is so sad. I just lost five minutes of brilliant hot take. I, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Oh, sad. Well, I was I, I I was wrapping up my thought on Davos and cross-country skiing and how different it is. I guess so that was, that was basically, I can give you the summary there. Um, but you got it there. I mean, cross country is a unique sport, you know, like it's, it's, I'm not here to say that every sport should be like running and running is, it is unique in that it kind of is a more, it exposes you in a true aerobic sense. Um, but not, not running doesn't even do that completely, you know, like uphill only running kind of exposes your aerobic side but it doesn't it doesn't show who's the fastest you know biomechanic efficiency is huge flexibility pliability your your stride economy those things are all part of running fast as well and yeah you could say maybe it's the most natural thing like let's go race to that fence post barefoot ready set go that that's the essence of racing you know and and that's kind of unique to running when you get rid of all the equipment you get rid of everything and you just go race me to there um but i guess my main point here in bringing this all up is like we, you shouldn't be a person who's like a true cross-country course is x because for some people true cross-country is plodding across a flat field in like seven inches of powder and hopping over fence posts that's the, that's the essence of cross-country it's like the 1880s version uh, and some people they they think cross country needs to be technical, It has to be technically demanding through the woods. Some people think it needs to have hills that are at max two minutes high, and there's there's plenty of downhill recovery sections. Uh, some people are uh, you know think a true cross country course has to just really hurt, and it means it needs a long sustained climb. So there's a lot of different uh, you know things about the sport, and I think that's that's more my. My, my two complaints are you can't be someone who says, you know, cross-country is variation. That's what it is. Sorry. And then on, on the other side of your mouth say, well, that's not a real cross-country course. Like, because really, like, who's the standard? Um, and and then, you know, you also can't, I guess, or, or you know, my one complaint would be or my one thought is it's sort of interesting how some athletes are just okay being involved in the sport that they say is the most aerobic demanding sport, but then not – excelling in the in the types of courses that expose that one particular component so i think that's getting interesting um anyway we'll talk more ski specific stuff maybe later this week if we get another show in before the tour to ski and get kind of excited about it or maybe wrap up the first couple days of action i don't know we'll do something but my last thing you gotta just unwind on are some pet peeves feeling pet peeves like are you feeling the like when you go to the grocery store that food is just way more expensive now? You know? Uh, going over here to Safeway in Lenville, like the almond milk, you can buy a thing of almond milk for $4.99. Like the name brand almond milk was $4.99. There's like an off brand one that's $3.29. And then over at Walmart, it's like $236. Like what has happened to our world? You know? So I go there to get some almond milk and I have, you know, like I have to take out a second loan basically, which slows me way down as I'm checking out. And here's the second thing, like this whole experience for me, the other, the other night when I'm going to the grocery store, I was just like so mad at our world. You know, first of all, everything is so expensive. It just ticks me off. Like I couldn't even, it was expensive to the point where I was like not buying stuff that I absolutely wanted and probably should buy, you know, like nutritionally rich foods that's just crazy. I can't believe I now live in a country where that, that is sometimes the case. Like, like I'm making weird decisions like that. But anyway, I'm checking out and I'm going through the self checkout because, you know, sometimes here at our grocery store, that's the only option. Anyway, there's not even a person working in one of the three aisles, but you know, if you go, if you've been to Walmart too, like they'll have like, 20 aisles and one of them will be staffed or two of them are staffed. So your choices are wait in line for half an hour and have someone check you out. But then even then like you're going to still have to bag all your all your groceries or whatever you're buying. Or you could do self-checkout. You might you're still going to have to wait like 5 or 10 minutes, you know. But then it might only take 5 minutes. Um but if you have a technical malfunction, it's going to take you, like, an hour. I, I just, like, wow. I, I don't know. I remember growing up and, like, going to the grocery store, and it was fun. And, like, my mom and I, we'd, like, you'd be checking out with, and she would buy, like, $150 worth of food, right? Three 15-year-old boys, like, I mean, it was just nuts. We're eating 40 pancakes per breakfast. Um, Like. The checkouts, I don't remember them being this insane thing. Like we would wait in line for like a couple of minutes and then this they it was very efficient. Like the person would say hi to you and they'd be checking you out really fast, or be someone bagging your groceries at the same time. Like it was like kind of a pain-free thing. And now it's like really a chore to go grocery shopping. And so when I was checking out my stuff at at the Leadville Safeway, like seven or eight times the computer chip uh, Was trying it, it, just in the paying process actually? Well, no, no, it was in the checkout process too. First of all, you know, you scan something and it's mad at you, so it call. It's like, don't worry, someone's coming over, and then four minutes later, someone comes over, and just clicks two buttons really fast, and then you're on your way. And three items later, the same thing happens. You know, that kind of stuff, <laughs> obviously, is going to happen. Uh, but then it was like checking out my card and. I remember thinking it did three or four things on the screen that were confusing. Um, But because I'm kind of like young enough where I've been around computers, you know, enough in my life, I was kind of like, oh, I think it's trying to ask me to do this. And then I just guessed right and I was right and right. And I moved through these different screens. But I was like, if you were like 83, you know. And like my grandma was very, you know, she's riding a bike at 91. Like if she would have been a 91, 91 going to check out the Safeway, she would have been standing there for like an hour as the computer spit out just nonsensical garbage at her. Uh, because that it was, it was that it was like, it wasn't me doing anything weird. It was this computer being totally funky and me just thankfully clicking buttons really fast and getting, getting out of there. Uh but I was like this is weird man. This is weird that we live in this world where like grocery shopping is like this laborious thing and you you can't buy stuff anymore. It's either not there, it's not stocked or it's so expensive, good luck. Yeah, I mean This cereal prices here too. Like I think I'm gonna have to go off cereal. Like this is bad. It counts for like 3,000 of my daily calories. I know what you're thinking. Like (laughs) that's weird that you even eat 3,000 calories a day, but it's probably more like 5,000. But like three of those thousand are, you know, cereal. So what am I gonna do here? Uh, That's not good. Coffee, right? Coffee is like becoming, you can't even buy that. I need a sip. Oh gosh, just spilled it all over. Oh my word. Mm. fail anyway that was pet peeve number one pet peeve number two a little more nordic ski related here um i'm getting tired of the fact that okay if you hung around for this by the way leadville okay leadville listeners listen up i know i know i'm preaching to the choir here we're really missing the boat here on like maximizing what we could have in cross-country skiing here um general listeners here's my here's my pet peeve i want to bring up double polling, trying to double pull when they set the classic track off to the right side and like the outside lane is just powder what is that come on like um this doesn't happen if you have the the super new expensive groomers like they have the classic track has like a wide enough plate on it almost or whatever where like your du- it's it's built for you know to handle double pullers and we have this at a few venues here in Colorado you know like Malloy Park has it so whatever if they groom like it's it, it you can double pull you know you're gonna have like same firmness pretty much on either side of that classic track but even, it's weird how even the piston bully one hundreds which are a big expensive piece of equipment like if there's a classic track like it's a ten percent chance that you can double pull in it because most likely on the right side it's just powder. Uh, I'm getting kind of frustrated by it because like, we've had these, this really cold snow, you know, I've been doing a lot of double polling on roads or in the middle of a skate deck. And it's just annoying. Like I want to get my skis in that classic track and I want to, I want to roll. And, and when it's been really cold, sometimes the classic track has been a, a lot faster than the skate track. You know, like, when the skate track gets skaters on it and then fat bikers on it, it it changes the snow, the snow recrystallizes, and it's really slow, and it's only, like, I've had a couple nights where it's been, all right, I, oh, I can't double pull in the class, oh, the classic tracks are really fast, great, oh, can't double pull in the classic tracks. get in the skate deck, oh, it's firm enough, but the snow is so slow, it's like my elbows are gonna break, like, I can't do this for more than, like, five minutes, and, yeah that's been the experience this winter has been just kind of a frustrating grind and i mean hopefully i'll end up in some race where the the snow's great and it's firm and then it feels like a dream but man it's just frustrating so leadville locally though um what's our deal here guys like we have uh we have a, a great chance to have a long snow season we have some interesting trails we have a lot of equipment we have people who like skiing why can't we get our act together um I think there's a lot of things around this issue. My take on it as a youngster who hasn't been here a long time, though, and has listened to a lot of people, it seems like there's a lot of enemy lines that have been drawn between various groups, you know, various boards, um, other interests, you know, whether it's um, snowmobilers, um, hunters, the college, schools, coaches, teams, recreational users, bikers, snowshoers, runners, Like everyone seems to hate each other (laughs) and that that's one problem. Like I think I think it would be good if we had this like meeting a council meeting where like we all get together in this in like a room and we have representation from everywhere and we kind of just have a conversation, you know, like I think I would come and go. Here's a vision I have like you could even actually just put out this proposal like we're going to rethink and reimagine outdoor winter sports recreation in the in Lake County and allow people to come to the forefront with designs and plans of like how they see every faction working out. Not just cross country skiers coming to talk cross country skiing or snowmobilers to talk snowmobiling, but like everyone comes to the table and goes, here's how I would take care of the walkers, the snowshoers. The mountain bikers, the or the fat bikers, the skiers, the snowmobilers, the hunters, everyone. I want I want to try and think of everyone's in this situation, and this this plan would be better. That that's one thing. It's like because I feel like the um, the relationships are out there. The other thing is is there seems to be this like. You have to jump through so many loopholes to get anything done. Like first you got to talk to this one person, then you got to go to this board, but then you got to go to a board above that board, and then once you get approval from there, you still have to talk to this last guy who actually has the keys to the groomer. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, why is this so <laughs> crazy? Um, and uh, so that's the second kind of issue, but. Here's the plan I would say if we if we could you know dream up this scenario where we get everyone in a room and and Ryan Cedarquist gets his chance to share his idea. A few thoughts that I would have. um I think first of all, we have to recognize that even just within our cross country ski community, we have a lot of different expectations and things that we think are important. you know, um, some people are truly have no problem with the situation as it currently is because they're, they don't need to have like immaculate facility, immaculately groomed. They, and and if it is groomed, like they're not someone like me who's going to go, Oh yeah, the right side of the classic track isn't firm enough. So I can't double pull. Right. Like I get that, you know, there, there's a group of skiers who, who don't need that. Um, And so everything's fine. So that's kind of one group of skiers. There's also a group of skiers that like really cares about having a groomed skate deck because all they do is skate ski all the time. So again, they're not going to be quite as into the nuance that I just mentioned. They are having both, but uh, they're, you know, they they do want it to be groomed and they're really annoyed when a fat bike goes through it or a runner goes across it because that kind of like totally eliminates their day. Um, there's some people who really don't care if they have any hills. You know, like they they are fine, like just skiing across flat stuff all the time. Uh, there's some people who who need hills and who need immaculate grooming. Um, there's some people who just want some sort of grooming. <laughs> so there's all these different like things. I think the solution there is to you have if, if you if you allow the golf course to be what it is currently, like let let uh, the Leadville cross country ski do their thing they can have rentals there they have a nice like little venue there people can go in and sit by the fire have a cocoa buy snacks rent gear get a, a good experience skiing um it's it's not gonna be you know like uh soldier hollow groomed where it's like a firm rock solid thing you're not gonna get that at the golf course um save a few times a year because they they don't have that capability it's a it's a it's a more intimate experience you've got cool links to lake loop and that's sweet i think i think if you left that how that is that would meet a lot of different skiers you would meet the beginners you would meet a group of skiers who are newer you would meet um also maybe different age ranges older and really young it's a it's a good first place to go and just kind of test some things out i think Um, and also there's just a lot of like passion there, you know, like I think I've said on this show before too. And, you know, I know Dan listens to my show, but like, you gotta love the excitement that he brings to that place in terms of connecting with people, um, and, and building relationships with skiers and just kind of pushing the sport forward a little bit, like that, that should not be extinguished. That's a bad thing. If you extinguish someone like that, who has an excitement for the sport and for people of different ability levels, that's bad. Like let, let that live. So the golf course can be that. And if, and if, if Dan's got it in himself to like, he wants to run that and he has a passion for it. Like, why would you shut that down? I don't get that, you know? So let that go, let the golf course go, let it go smoothly. It's great. Now here's something that would be new. I think in October for about a month, we have skiing on turquoise Lake road, People flock there because the snow holds really well. It's good snow, um, and it's it's a three or four percent grade slope for three miles. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's used. People have to they have to wait for cars to kind of pack it down, you know. And like if you want to do anything of uh, like exercise that's it requires some firmness. So what I think we should have is it's a little bit of a hatch or pass situation. Like we should have someone grooming that that should get groomed every once in a while in the fall. Um, You know, like you wouldn't have to be crazy about it, but I think it would make the most sense to just since the snowmobile club grooms turquoise lake road all year, you know, in October or in May have them. Well, no, in October, when that first snow kind of comes, load up the piston bully and drive it. <laughs> three miles over to Abe Lee, park it there, and every time there's a a reasonable sized snow, he takes it out, he grooms it, and and that road is huge. Like make one pass up that's skate only, and make one pass down that's double classic track. You could literally do that. Like you'd you could just have a massive swath. Go all the way up to the entrance to Hagerman Road. You don't have to groom Hagerman Road. That's fine. Leave that for the people who want to have a more old school cross country classic cake and glad experience. You know, and this it won't be super expensive. It won't be super long. It would be from the first October snow, which sometimes doesn't even happen in October. Sometimes you're talking like November 10th, um, and and if if the first snow doesn't come till November 17th, you don't move the groomer over there. Really, you know, you probably just leave it. And sorry, guys, we don't have fall skiing. But if it snows October 15th or 20th, you could be grooming from October 20th until Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, I know like the hunting regulations kind of change. Uh, they close off the road. That's fine. Okay, we got a great month of skiing on groomed trails. We love it. We love you. You know, and that's the groomer you got to bring over there, though. You got to have a big time groomer if you're going to do it like nothing chintzy. Let's bring something over there and and be real about it, you know, and and attract some people, attract SSCV, attract some of these ski clubs like they would come there if they knew it was something that was really worth coming to. If you really wanted to, you could like charge something to do it. I I don't know. You know, I, I think something like that, if it's a month long. You know, it's sort of like, hey, this is a perk of Leadville. It's just a perk, you know, like it's pretty cool. Um, now, mineral belt. This is the one that's the most bizarre, you know. Like, we had a great situation where they were grooming Tuesday and Saturdays with this, uh with a really good groomer. So when it was groomed, you could <laughs> it was like insanely good. The problem was is, you know. They groom it on a schedule. So if it, if it snows the next day, you know, now it's like, well, what did they do? Why, why didn't they just wait until after that snowstorm? You know, they can't, right? They're on a schedule. Um, and the reason I like that is at least we knew, like, okay, it's going to get groomed this day and that day. It might snow, but it, when it's groomed, it's going to be really high quality, which it was. It was really high quality grooming. Right now, what we have is a worse groomer doing the same thing. but by groomer, I mean like a worse machine, a worse machine trying to do the same thing. So like they are going to go Tuesday and Saturday, but now if it's going to snow on Saturday, they might just wait until the next Tuesday. Like it seems to me like it's just been less, you know, if we're going to stay local and use our own groomer, like you'd think we'd groom it three or four times a week, even then like it's right there, you know? Um, so I feel like we kind of like just went from something that was not a super ideal situation because it couldn't account for weather to something that's doing the same thing, only worse with a worse piece of equipment. Um, And meanwhile, CMC has this great new groomer. So why don't we have this? Why don't we, why don't we have, uh, well, what I think we need is we don't need to groom the entire trail. What skiers want is they want, they want to have dependable, reliable quality grooming. So, we don't need to have the entire mineral belt groomed every single time we groom. But I want to be able to drive somewhere and know something has been groomed. So if we could have CMC in their club, their their academic program, groom their trails every other day, not not the whole system, but like something, three 3K, 5K, every other day. And then every other day, they also groom the 5K stretch from Dutch Henry to the dump road. Like that would just be, you know, on a Monday, they're going to do the 5K dump road stretch. Then on Tuesday, they're going to hit uh something on the CMC trail. Wednesday, they're going to hit that 5K stretch again. On certain, certain times, they maybe don't need to do that, but that but they just keep that 5K stretch immaculate because it's it's right next to their trail system anyway. It's used all the time by not only locals, but the high school team. Um, so it's like, it's a seamless return route. Even it's just, it's, it's right there. It makes sense. And then maybe once every two weeks, you know, you do the entire mineral belt and mix it up a little bit. Sometimes have it just be only skate, sometimes do a double classic track, but like, you know, you could actually like make it kind of different. Um, I think, I think the big thing there, the big keys, as I'm kind of walking through this is we we want to have reliable grooming, consistent grooming. It doesn't have to be comprehensive grooming. We don't need a hundred K of trail. Like, like it doesn't need, we don't need something in every single spot all year. We don't need Turquoise Lake open to skiers all year. We want it open in October when no one's using it. We want it, uh, maybe one day a year where you tell us, Hey, we're going to groom it at 8am. If you want to ski Turquoise Lake here, here we go. You know, like, have a few novelties like that but we don't cross-country skiers don't need to own everything okay and i think if you if you adopted it this way like we're not going to have as big a problem with a fat biker going down the lane if we know hey we have a freshly groomed thing every single day you know i don't care as much it's it's when oh my gosh they groom the mineral belt the one time they're going to groom it and now someone ran right down the middle of it and his shoes were sinking three inches well that's a big deal because yeah, no one's gonna come back and regroom this again. So this is what we get this week, you know. Like, and it just seems inexcusable when we the city owns a, a piston bully. We've got multiple piston bullies at CMC, which are connected and have their own cross country ski trails, you know. And we have snowmobile club piston bullies. Like, there should be something groomed everywhere every single day with that many cats. Um, and I know snowmobiles. It's like it's for the snowmobiles, but even those guys like. Post your schedule so that, like, cross-country skiers would know, oh, man, I'm going to do the Turquoise Lake Loop today because I know it's getting groomed. Like, instead, it's – skiing Turquoise Lake is, like, one of the most insane experiences of your entire life, but you'll get it, like, once a year if you're lucky. You know, even if you went there every single day to try and hit it before the snowmobiles got there on a fresh grooming, like – Chances are you're probably going to miss it or someone's gone down the line, but it's happened to me a couple times in my life where I've like skied on that thing um, where it's just this, it's a beautiful skate deck and I, I, I don't think it's that much to ask. And if the snowmobilers want to trade with us, I would gladly go, Hey, on March 8th, snowmobilers can snowmobile the mineral belt and skiers get to ski turquoise. Like that'd be epic. I totally take that trade. Uh, but I think people just have to be more reasonable with one another. So to sum it up, if you're like yelling at your radio, I guess, the uh, my takeaways are we need to foster some relationships here. We need to think about everyone uh, as we do so, as we come up with ideas. We need to not blow the opportunity that we have with Leadville's long season and good terrain. Um, and with all of the equipment that we have, I think we need to be we need to integrate CMC a lot more. They need to be the person who can cater to the elite racer. It might have to be CMC, you know, and can we work that out with the high school, with CMC, with the city kind of going, Hey, can you kind of take ownership of this five K section and groom it more regularly? Or can you groom your cross country ski trails regularly? Um, we, we don't need to have the entire mineral belt groomed all the time. Like it's cool, but, but it doesn't need to happen. And, um, and kind of like maybe this maybe the city ha, instead of ha, trying to upkeep their own piston bully just sell that and pay pay CMC to do some of the grooming. You know, I know that I think that used to be kind of in that agreement. It's like I don't know why we got rid of that man. Like we don't need seven different entities trying to do this. You know, like there's there's enough to, like there's enough uh, CMC could do that I think without uh, that extra help. But anyway, just me. So. Long rambling session here. Thank you for joining us in the Cedars Gear Podcast. Hopefully you made it through it. Um, and we'll see you next time. Hopefully you have a good tour to ski, a good happy new year. Keep on striving. Keep on skiing.